Let's dump this truck. Back it up, back it up. Let's dump this truck. Hello and welcome to Bad Romance. I'm Jordan Searles. And I'm Bronwyn Isaac. And this week we are doing, uh, it, it's, it's a wild one. <laughs> it is a wild one. The late 80s, the, 1987 vehicle Hearts of Fire with none other than Bob Dylan as one of the leads. Yeah, yeah. I did not know that there was a film from 1987 starring Bob Dylan. This is This is news to me. And it's directed by Richard Marquand, who also directed Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, Jagged Edge, which I've seen, not very good. Um, the Legacy, a horror movie that I actually really enjoy and have at home. And that one has Sam Elliott and Catherine Ross, who are married in real life. And they are so hot in The Legacy. Cannot suggest The Legacy enough. But yeah, God, the guy who directed Return of the Jedi, I really like Return of the Jedi. I think that it's a great movie. I do not understand what he's doing here. (laughs) And the script is written by Joe Esteras, who also wrote the scripts for Basic Instinct, Showgirls, Flashdance, Jade, Sliver, and the aforementioned Jagged Edge. Now that, that's really, man, that's really something. <laughs> this, this movie was written by one of the, one of the key writers of the erotic thriller moment. He is an in the smut man. He is our, our Patreon side pod in the smut. He is like a main character there. He, I mean, I truly, I can't believe it because there is like nothing erotic about this movie and it would have made me feel better <laughs> if there was like I would have enjoyed it more what and the composer on this is John Barry <laughs> legendary composer of Midnight Cowboy Goldfinger Dances with Wolves like what <laughs> yeah no I mean there's so many elements of this movie that on paper I'm like, okay, this is going to be awesome, <laughs> right? Like, not necessarily good, but awesome. Because I was like, wow, this cast, this plot, you know, we're, we're getting like um, a rock and roll love triangle. I love that shit. Let's go. And so I was expecting it to be very sexy. Not necessarily all good sex that looks like everyone's having a great time, but I did think it would be sexy. And this was a deeply sexless movie. It's Yeah, it's interesting because I would say, like, out of all the movies that I named, that this movie is, like, in terms of the script, is closest to Flashdance. So it does make sense that the person wrote this, the same person wrote it because it's essentially, like, a younger woman, she's trying to make it as a dancer. She's got this, like, older, like, more, you know, successful guy. And it's just very much like a, is this plucky girl gonna make it? But, <laughs> and, but Flashdance, I mean, Flashdance has Jennifer Beals, so. <laughs> well, yeah, and yeah, I, I feel like there is a similarity in the sense of there being the question of, 
is this a mentorship relationship or a romantic relationship? Is this power dynamic, one that is taking advantage? Or is it just simply, you know, we're in the same basic industry and yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to help you kid or you're a fan of me kids. So come along. There's that question. And in this, in this one, I feel like it's both very clear and unclear at the same time, like in the, in the relationships. So the, the woman in this is a singer, Fiona. She plays a character named Molly. Uh, I don't, unless I missed it, it's never really clearly displayed how old she is. Like she's obviously very young and she's obviously- Oh, she says, much- she says that she's 18. <laughs> okay, that's what I thought. I thought that this was like, like she felt 17 to me, but I was like, I don't feel like this movie wants to deal with that. So I feel like she's probably barely 18. Yeah, she, yeah, she says that she's 18 and really it really does remind us how young 18 really is (laughs) well yeah like her being 18 is more a technicality than a choice in my opinion like it's not about oh we want her to be an adult it's like yes legally she's an adult and so they have that covered so they don't have to deal with you know are these rock stars pedophiles which usually when that question's asked, the answer is yes, because, you know, you could look at the history of rock and roll and all of the pedophiles. But obviously this movie didn't want to deal with that, but it did choose to have her be 18. (laughs) And like, she feels, she feels 18. You know, she feels young. Yeah, she, her, I can't believe, so the best way that I can describe Hearts of Fire is that it's like a bad version of A Star is Born. It's like, so... <laughs> That's really funny. There have been, like, several versions of A Star is Born over the years. You know, there was one in the 30s, one in the 50s. There was one in the 70s with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. I almost feel like they wanted to do A Star is Born for the 80s, and and it ended up being this. I love that read. I actually did not make any connection between this and A Star is Born. And as you know, I mean, you and I saw A Star is Born together in theaters. I I loved the recent one. I love the, the Barbra Streisand one. You know, I think it's a story that obviously can be made a lot of ways and can be done very well and can be done very lazily. I wouldn't have made that connection, but now that you bring it up, I can completely see it. I could see this being like you said, the 80s version, but also like, okay, we don't want to have, we we want the language of this interpretation to be very specific to who's starring in it. You know, we want it to be Bob Dylan as this musician, Billy Parker, you know, playing some version of himself. We have Rupert Everett playing this other musician who's named James Colt in it. Yeah. I, I will get into this later, but I am very attracted to Rupert Everett's fashion. In I this. thought that you would be. So I, I should point out that Fiona actually did have a career. She has released five albums. The first one being released in 1985 and the last one being released in 2011. So um, it seems like her most, popular album was her 1989 one called heart like a gun <laughs> which yeah. I, 
I I truly like as a person who's been obsessed with the eighties, I've just like truly never heard of this person. But you know, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that she made some money. I'm glad that this <laughs> I'm glad that this young woman. One thing that I love is if you look at her Wikipedia or really any of the pages that talk about her career and it says spouse, it just says Steve. So I just like really love that. It's just Steve, her her spouse is Steve. If you click on it, it just says Steve. There's no more information. And that obviously her name as a singer is Fiona. We have a very, you know, first name, one name. I love that commitment. I do think the choice to have her as the lead really does cement this as a very much 80s movie because like you said, you know, she's a recording artist. She had a music career that was primarily in the 80s. And so that extra marks this in time. And, and and apparently she was she was 26 at the time of filming and Bob Dylan was 46. Yep. That all checks out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she I will say like, you know, we're very used to seeing people in their mid 20s play teens. That's pretty normal on TV, but she does actually look 18. She like she I, I actually does. wouldn't have been surprised if she was actually 18 or 19 when this was filmed. So yeah, they did a great job on that <laughs> on casting. They sure did. And Rupert Rupert Everett was only like two years older than her. So, oh wow! Yeah. So so yeah. <laughs> funny. He actually like looks his age. If not he older. does, he so does. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So there's a little bit of more information that I feel like we should talk about is in the Wikipedia. It says. Originally written by Scott Richardson, the screenplay was rewritten by Basic Instinct writer Joe Asteris because Lorimer Productions felt that Richardson was a baby writer and not experienced enough to take on the responsibility of a starring vehicle for a rock icon of Dylan's stature. Hearts of Fire is also regarded as the film that killed Richard Marquand director of Return of the Jedi, who died of a stroke later the same year. <laughs> wow. wow. And that was that was a laugh of surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I definitely know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is, I mean, what a movie to go out on. Like, yeah, seriously. I mean, because this really, we have said this about a couple of the movies that we've covered that they feel like music videos. This one actually is a music video. Like, because, you know, it's a, a music movie with a rock star and there are so many concert scenes that are just people playing music. And like, yeah, some of these scenes do reveal more about the characters and add to the narrative. But most of them are just like, look at, here's some music. Look at these outfits. I'm not even against that. I enjoy that sometimes. But it's very funny to me to have all of this discussion around the script and how the script needs to be written by someone who's experienced and has the pedigree when there is so little actual plot and development happening. Yeah, like this was it's wild to me that this was like a rewrite situation because like what was added or rewritten <laughs> it just seems like did the dude make it worse i kind of worry that he might have i'm like worried. i actually <laughs> like i want to see what the original script was because it feels like 
elements were taken away. I can't really imagine anything having been added because there's so little that actually happens. Yeah, it really is. That this 18-year-old girl, she works at like, what is that, like a toll booth? Yeah, she works at a a toll booth, which is interesting. I I will say at this point, I've never seen a movie where an 18-year-old girl works at a toll booth. So that was interesting to me. Toll booth in Pittsburgh with like the shitty boss. Oh my god, yeah, he's like the classic boss who obviously hates his job, he's upset, he's taking that out in the one way that he has power, which is over the teens and young people who work for him, so he'll he'll like scream at her and be like, once you've worked here 17 years, then you can show up late or you can slack off. He basically admits that he's bad at his job, but is like, I'm so miserable, (laughs) you have to be miserable, and maybe someday you'll get it when you're as miserable as me. And I was like, well, that's a very real person. I've definitely worked for that person before. Shout out to my old manager at Whole Foods. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean that. That was like I, such a specific boss dynamic that I think anyone who has worked a multitude of like service jobs or public facing jobs has like worked with this man. But also, it's like he doesn't seem to think about the safety aspect of her being a young woman dealing with like angry drivers and like having no protection. Oh yeah. Oh my god, because there's that part, like, right before she quits her job, where a dude, like, swindles her, he pays her $10, he asks her out, and she says no, and then he's like, I gave you a 20, give me a 10 back, and she keeps on trying to explain to her boss, he's literally stealing, I'm gonna be short in the register, and you're gonna be mad, and it's like, I mean, she she quits right she quits right after this, and I would too because it's like I'm not going to be accused of stealing because you don't believe me. Oh yeah, absolutely, and and like that man sexually harasses her. He's basically like, you can keep the change if you give me your number, and she's like, no, I'm going to pretend you didn't say that, and then he's like, I'll nail you either way, and then he like lies and claims he gave her a twenty when he gave her a ten, and then of course her boss it's never really revealed who that guy is but it's obvious that her boss knows who he is and he's either rich or you know connected or something and yeah and and that's her breaking point because she's like oh so i'm gonna get in trouble for doing the right thing fuck you oh yeah and she also plays at this like club here's where here's where i am I'm going to show my ass in terms of like, I do not understand what white people will pay for and what white people (laughs) will get excited about. And so every single time I saw a performance at this venue and the performances later, I was just like, I I was just thinking, this is fine. Is this really, is this really, I mean, I will say also too, that I don't, I'm not really familiar with Bob Dylan's work, I've seen I'm Not There, and I and I enjoyed it, and I, I'm aware of, like, his, like, general vibe and kind of, like, what he represents and, like, his whole thing. The whole time I was just like, yeah, this is music. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, so I like Bob Dylan. Like, I, I have several of his albums. I grew up listening to him. I think he's a really good songwriter. I think, you know, as many people have said, more in depth than me before I think he's a good lyricist and I enjoy the poetry of his music but I don't think I think one of the funny things about this movie is I don't think it actually showcases Bob Dylan's songwriting skills like I don't think this movie actually 
for how many scenes there are where you just watch Bob Dylan play music or you watch Fiona and Bob Dylan and <laughs> Rupert Everett play music, there you don't actually see Bob Dylan's music. You don't really see why people like him. And I don't even think you need to, but I do think it's it's a funny choice for a movie that is so centered around these concert scenes. Because yeah, as yeah, as somebody who enjoys Bob Dylan's music, I didn't feel like I was watching Bob Dylan's music. I mean, the song that is the title Hearts of Fire, you know, that does feel kind of like a Bob Dylan performance, but it's very much like in the world of this movie and these characters, which again, makes sense. But it, it is funny to have the choice to have so many concert scenes and it's just like this watered down. I, I mean, I think some of that was also, oh, here, he's a fictional character. It's like It reminded you know, like, me of, uh, the music reminded me of the music that the that Michael Keaton plays in Jack Frost before he dies and becomes like a snowman. That's hilarious. I can see it. <laughs> and honestly, that music kind of goes, so like... Yeah, because it's just like, God, God, what's that song that he that he's playing all the time? I I really thought that I would remember. It's it's like it's on me or like something about a drink, and it's like playing it in the beginning, and it's the one where like everybody's like fucking losing their shit, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one at the beginning of this movie that was like I don't remember the name of it because I'd never heard it before. So I think it was just for this movie, but uh <laughs> Absolutely. I need to pull up the, heart, the Hearts of Fire soundtrack. It's just like, I just watched this yesterday, and how do I not remember this? I mean, to be fair, like, I don't think on any of our episodes we've, like, had to memorize the soundtrack. <laughs> like, Oh, it's, it, normally... it's called it's called The Usual. I knew it was, like, something alcohol-related. Yeah, there were times when he just, like, kept on being, like, The Usual. Like, it was, like, this, like, <laughs> I almost want to play some of it. Yeah, he plays the usual a bunch of times. Fiona plays Hearts of Fire a bunch of times. Rupert Everett's like like main song is just a cover of Tainted Love to the point where I wasn't even sure if it was actually was him dying. singing it because I was just like, this just sounds like Tainted Love. This sounds like a previous, this sounds like a Tainted Love that already exists. I mean, maybe he just like, did like the way that he sang it was so similar to how it already sounds that like it didn't even occur to me until like halfway through that Tainted Love was supposed to be his song in this movie. <laughs> I know. Well, that was very funny to me. I loved I loved how like obvious it was. I love that they didn't even do the effort to write a song for him. They're just like, well, here he's he is. Singing, he's just singing <laughs> he's Tainted famous. Love. He's singing Tainted Love. And also I'm I'm very sorry if anyone's listening and they love the usual, but yeah, I was wrong. It is a real Bob Dylan song that already existed. Yeah, um, I mean, I can't believe, I mean, people were going ape shit in this movie. Like, I was just like, every single time, I just felt like he was like, I don't know, man. Like, I was trying to think of a song, like a song in my life that I would like go crazy about. Like, when he says the usual, it's like, ah, everybody's fucking so funny it's like, or, if, it's like know, if Cameron and Jewel Santana did like hey ma <laughs> yeah but I, I also I always think you know a live performance does not translate in a video like the feeling of a concert never translates in video 
And I feel like particularly with a lot of rock music, you, I mean, God saying rock music, like that's such a general, but people know what Mm. I mean. It does not translate. Like the sound of the recording versus the sound of a live show is so different because of the acoustics of the music that it doesn't, like it never hits. Like even if I see something that is a representation of one of my favorite songs, if it's like a full band and it's a live thing, it doesn't sound the same. It doesn't look good. It's almost like watching a stand-up tape. Like you're not going to laugh at it really. Like even a Netflix special, it's like heavily edited. And so that's another funny thing to me about these live concert scenes. Because even like you think about like the live shows that do translate, they're often far more produced and it's much more translatable when it's an artist where there's one front person who's just singing or dancing like it's a pop artist their performance is going to translate a lot better in a concert where you're watching a video of the concert versus like a band Mm. so that I also think it's very funny to have like Bob Dylan jamming also he's not really known for being a good like (laughs) I might get attacked for this but he's not known for being like a performer live like that's not his thing So it's funny to just have this movie version of people jamming out in concert and it doesn't translate because it's supposed to be the live show experience. And it's like half of the songs are fake or like, or, or like, or like, or like sound fake. Like that's the thing. Like (laughs) like, it's just very funny choice. I know I'm sounding super nerdy about this, but it's just very funny to me. These choices. Yeah, because I mean, if this was supposed to be a vehicle for Bob Dylan's music, and I mean, Fiona had already released an album by the time this movie came out. So I don't know if it was like supposed to be like a boon for like both of their careers, but it's just like her music just sounds like other music from the 80s, but like a less interesting version. And his music sounds like it sounds like his B-sides. If, yeah, it's it's like he's covering himself. Yeah. Like that's how it feels. It's like he's a he is this fake character covering Bob Dylan. And then like the sound quality isn't that good. So you're just like, okay, I'm getting a lot of like white noise and there's like a crowd of people who are, I guess, drunk. I'm not sure why this scene is 20 minutes long. Oh yeah, that's a it's a very long scene. <laughs> it's like I mean this entire movie. So when Fiona first meets Bob Dylan, she's like, hey, can I cover one of your songs? And he's like, and he's basically just like, yeah, and then I'll sue you. <laughs> and he just like drives away. <laughs> but Yeah, he's so mad at her. It's so funny. But then me. when we see, but then as soon as he's back, they're singing a song together. And there's not even like a lot of like, I mean, I guess he... He changes his mind about her, but it's so subtle. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, this movie genuinely has a lot of plot holes. Because like you said, she meets him. She's like, I'm such a big fan. I, you know, I write songs. Also, one of the going bits in this movie, and I can't tell if the movie wants it to be a bit or if I just read it as a bit, is that she tells people that she writes music and that she's a musician. But these male musicians the whole time will get really shocked when they realize she writes music. And they're like, what? You write music? And I'm like... 
bitch, she's been telling you. <laughs> like, uh, like, I actually found that very funny and realistic. Yeah. Uh, but the movie was so sparsely written, I couldn't tell if that was actually supposed to be funny. She, yeah, she keeps saying it. I mean, everybody just, like, treats her like she's this baby. It's like, why is this baby here? And then she'll, like, sing or something, and they're like, oh, shit. I guess she's not just a baby and I don't know what you guys expect like if you're working in the music industry and you're looking at someone and you're sizing them up it's like you know like based on history that the way that you evaluate a person has nothing to do with how talented they actually end up being (laughs) so oh for sure yeah and like there is this element of oh she's a baby but also whose chick is she Oh yeah, very much like who's having sex with her? Do we all get to have sex with her? And in that sense, like there is a part of me that was relieved there wasn't a lot of sex because those dynamics were so creepy. But at the same time, it felt very dishonest to have her on tour and have this kind of pseudo romantic thing where she's like a mentored and like a collaborator and a fan of Bob Dylan's character. But you never actually see them get physical, but it's also kind of implied, but it's not fully implied. And like, yeah. I-, I was like, just fucking pick something, pick a lane. Yeah. Like they're sitting on the fence. It's, what is going on here? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if if you're not familiar with A Star is Born, the whole concept of it and any A Star is Born, the concept is older man finds younger woman. The older man is on the decline. The younger woman has a lot of talent. The older man is like like a mentor to the woman she becomes like attached to him it becomes like a love thing but then the older man you know he he's difficult he's cantankerous he doesn't want to you know like play the game and then usually it ends up with the younger woman having to go on with her career without the older man. Usually it means that he dies. Um, yeah, yeah, but totally. So, it, so that's, that's essentially the story here, except that Bob Dylan in this... <laughs> okay, Bob Dylan in this movie. I will concede that... He is an attractive man, especially for his age. You know, an an attractive 46-year-old. I love the earring. I'm always saying men just wear one earring. Like, Oh, my God, the earring. It always works on Yes, exactly. You get it. Yeah, so it's like, and some of the time, the way that he dresses is kind of like, he dresses like an old man who knows that he's hot. (laughs) Yeah, like he's an old man who's very comfortable, like, with his sensuality. Like, not just sexuality, his sensuality. Like, you know that he wears lotion. Yeah, Um, yeah. He might not look moisturized, but you know he has some. Like, that, yeah. Yeah, and, like, sometimes I just kept on, like, I I spent so much time looking at his face because this is, like, I've never spent this much time looking at Bob Dylan before in my life. This is the longest (laughs) period of time. So funny. I love that. So, like, I was just... I was like, you know what? I get it. I, I I get him being attractive. I don't get Fiona wanting him because she's just such a little baby and it doesn't really seem like she, whenever they're around, he's so respectful and dad-like. 
Yeah, like, she feels like his niece or something. Like, sometimes it almost feels like he's like, oh, I gotta make sure she's okay. And I'm fine with that. I just feel like the movie didn't quite fully decide what relationship they'd have because it would feel very, like, kind of fatherly and, like, don't worry, they're not having sex. He's, you know, he kind of finds her annoying sometimes. He wants to help her. Um, he sees his younger self in her in certain elements, and sometimes that makes him feel irrelevant and threatened. But then other times there are, like, people making sexual jokes about her to him, and he never, like, goes along with the jokes, but he also doesn't really shut it down. And, like, I don't know, like, there's, you know, she's, like, walking around, like, they're sleeping in the same room and everything. It's very, the movie just doesn't seem to know how to actually answer that question. Yeah, it's impossible to know. Like, if you ask me, like, 100%, did they fuck in this movie? I have no idea. I have no, I truly have no idea. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, one of the things that sets this apart from A Star is Born is the presence of Rupert Everett's character, which creates, I wouldn't even say a love triangle. I thought it was going to be a love triangle based on the description of the movie before watching it. It's more like a, a musical, it's like a collaboration triangle. <laughs> yeah, because like he, so he meets her, he's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to London, do you want to come? She has a bunch of like, she has that shitty experience with her job and then she decides at the last minute that she's going to go and then there's a scene where she's like chasing down the bus and then Bob Dylan like... <laughs> He, like, threatens the bus driver to stop. <laughs> and I was just like, it's like the first time that he threatens someone. And this bus driver does seem, like, a little uneasy. It's like, are, are people scared of Bob Dylan? Yeah, like, I was like, what a weird detail to include when we don't, like, the only times we see him be, quote, difficult are when he's standing up to record labels. And he's basically like, hey, y'all are full of shit leave leave fiona alone aka molly in the movie because you're you're gonna be predatory with your deals like the only other times we see him be difficult like we understand why i mean there is one scene that we'll get to where he's definitely not handling his feelings in a good way and he's like throwing stuff and that's not cool but for the most part he doesn't seem like he's a diva to people who work for him so it's weird to have this one moment and then never like address it it's like yeah he will wield his power but we don't know how often so she gets on the bus and they're able to catch that plane and go. And then as soon as they get there, they perform together and it goes well. And then a record guy is like, do you want to go on like a tour? Like do an album? Like, do you want to do more stuff? And Bob Dylan's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird because I feel like in a star is born, um, you know, the older character does want to be relevant still and is kind of fighting for that and then hitting roadblocks. And I feel like Bob Dylan's character, like, there's people who are like, we still want you. And he's just like, nah. <laughs> so it's like a little confusing because it's like, I totally get that his character's disillusioned. He's been taken advantage of when he was younger. He's seen a lot of corruption. Maybe he feels disillusioned with why people care about music. But he doesn't really have the blocks that it seems that he thinks he does. It's like the block is just that he doesn't want to be a musician anymore. Yeah, he doesn't. And he performs with her, I guess, because she, because he likes her, but he doesn't want to perform. And it's also just not clear why he likes her so much 
either. Yeah. Because, yeah, because they, their, like, priorities for music are completely different. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, she is a great, like, a, she has a great voice, you know, and, and she, it, it's obvious that she is actually a musician in the way that she's able to perform in the movie, but you don't see them sit down and have, like, a deep connection while they're writing music together where you're like, okay, he feels like he's leaving this world, but he likes to be in it with her for a minute first. But you also don't see fully clearly, like, they have a familial relationship. And this goes back to that element of the movie not deciding what their relationship is and just kind of letting it be in this purgatory. And she is, I mean, yeah, she's young. She's excited. She's been a big music fan. Like, she was a fan of Bob Dylan's character. She was a fan of Rupert Everett's character. There's this kind of beef between Rupert Everett and Bob Dylan. And to me, it's unclear. Maybe you caught something I didn't. But when Rupert Everett, like, joins the movie, you know, he's also a successful musician, and Fiona's also been a fan of him. And it's weird because I can't tell if Bob Dylan doesn't like him because he's jealous and he feels like Rupert Everett, you know, has a shine that he had a decade ago, or if it's just because he's protective of Fiona. I know he's protective of Fiona, but it's unclear, like, did they have negative interactions in the past? I think that it it seems like Bob Dylan is upset with Rupert Everett because he doesn't respect Rupert Everett musically and also, like, I guess doesn't really think that Rupert Everett is, like, serious or has, like, integrity. Like, it's very much like a, who the fuck is this guy? This isn't a real musician. Yeah, he kind of thinks he's a hack. Which, I mean, to be fair, he kind of is. (laughs) Yeah, like, I think he's just like, oh, he... I mean, one of the conversations between Bob Dylan's character and Fiona is he's basically warning her. He's like, if you work with this guy, he's going to take advantage of you. Like, he's basically going to milk your talent for relevancy and money and then leave you out to dry. And she's like, well, I can't not take this opportunity. And I kind of understand both their perspectives because I think that Bob Dylan is telling the truth. He's like, listen, I can spot a user. You know, I can spot someone who is, is trying to collaborate in bad faith. But at the same time, Fiona is new and she is just trying to be able to play music. So she's like, okay, well, do I say no then? (laughs) Like, do I not do it? Yeah. What do you want? Yeah. It's like his advice, like, could easily make or break her career, just like depending. Like, it could be good advice, but it could be the worst advice. Because it's also, this is the 80s, right? Like, because you could say, if this was set now, you could say, well, she could start her own band you know she could put her music on soundcloud or Bandcamp and like get a tiktok and promote herself but like that wasn't possible then in that same way like obviously people made tapes and they sold their tapes and and there were there was always a diy scene i mean especially like after you know the 70s boom so it's not that she couldn't have gone that way but it was very different than now and so you know getting heard was just harder and and she was kind of like um you know a pop vocalist you know she was playing with a rock band but she was like she had kind of a pop sensibility yeah 100 percent. i do think though that the scenes where she's recording music and rupert everett is like helping produce it i do think that when he's talking to her and he's trying to get her to like really like sing with emphasis i actually think that he's doing good work there and i think that he's right <laughs> Yeah, there is that scene where they're recording and he's like, the song is Hearts of Fire and you're singing it really boring. And then he like pisses her off and then she sings it well. I'm not going to lie. That's a trope in music movies 
where they like, you know, try to draw the emotion out of the artist and then the artist gets upset and then they finally sing it or play it well. But I kind of love that trope. And I feel like this scene really did it. They did it really well. Yeah. And it showed how like, yeah, Rupert, even though his intentions might not be as pure as Bob Dylan's when it comes to the music itself, he is actually emotionally present and invested in the game. And I think that's why Fiona wants to work with him is she's like, well, he cares. Whereas Bob Dylan's just kind of like adrift he's out to see yeah he's got very much like you got it or you don't kind of energy and it's like dude like we need (laughs) yeah like there's there's a little middle ground there (laughs) man and we almost make it sound like this is a compelling movie like i feel like us talking about it is more interesting than actually watching oh no we are we're adding way more emotional depth to this movie than is actually present in the dialogue like because literally so much of this movie is just them on stage and then like we're, like we're filling in the blanks because like Rupert Everett's entrance into the movie is kind of vague and then it's like she plays well and then he wants to collaborate and then somebody wants to record an album with her with Fiona and Rupert Everett and then okay should we talk about the blind woman because what the fuck yeah uh because I, I don't understand what even so, happened So, okay, so the, the first time she's introduced, it's like, she, they're like looking out a window and she's out there and he's like, she comes to every show and I'm just sitting there just like, okay. Um. <laughs> You're like, why, like, okay, like what's so weird about that? She's a fan. This is Rupert Everett. Yeah. Talking. Yeah. He's like, she's at all my shows. And then it seems like she's maybe jealous about him and Fiona but it's really yeah it's weird because one of the things that Rupert says about her when he's like gazing out the window and like basically pointing at her like to to Fiona he's like she's the only one who's told me the truth about my music and I don't even know what that means he doesn't tell us what that means it's not like she's critiqued me and told me I need to do better or she told me why it's good it's just like she told me the truth and it feels very like I don't know, like, making her into this magical character where it's, like, she's blind and she tells me the truth. And I was, like, what is the truth? Tell us more. Yeah, what is the truth? So she shows up. She takes off her sunglasses, which very cool sunglasses, by the way. That's a cool trick. Oh, yeah. Like, she's serving a look. I love it. And she's, like, I wanted to see you. And then she, like, has a gun, and I'm just like, I don't understand. What do you mean? (laughs) We know nothing about this woman. All we know is that she goes to all of Rupert Everett's shows. She's blind. She has an awesome outfit on. And, like, she says something to one of Rupert's team, like, one of his security guards. And she's like, I heard he has a girlfriend. And the team member's like, well, you know, kind of. And then she, like, hears Fiona's voice. And then she's like, shows up. in the back with a gun and like everybody stops and she has the gun pointed at Rupert and he's like I'll handle this like as if he has this history with this woman but we don't fucking hear anything about why she cares that much like is this just supposed to be like look at how crazy fans get I don't know it's it's wild also this woman is played by Susanna Hoffman felt me to uh, say say who she is yeah she she and then she just like gets out a gun and you think that she's gonna shoot him and then she just shoots herself 
Yeah, she literally just shoots herself in front of everyone, and it's like the whole thing is like, I wanted to see you. I it, it feels like very much like I wanted to be with you. But we literally know nothing about this woman. And if it was supposed to just be a portrait of how obsessed fans can be, they could have done it differently. Like this felt too much like there was something we didn't know. Yeah, this it this felt like this was a woman that he knew. This felt like this was a woman that he had like jilted or something. Yeah, I was like, did they fuck? Like what's going on? Did here? she did she go blind at like one of his shows? Like what's yeah. going on? Like I wanted to know so much about this woman. <laughs> Same. I was so curious. I was like, this woman is more interesting to me than Rupert Everett's character. And honestly, like Bob Dylan's character, because again, these characters just aren't well written. And she's not well written either, but you're just like, damn, there's something going on there. Yeah, it was she was just like very compelling. Like she does so much with like a few lines and like a look. And she's truly an oh, truly yeah. an icon, this woman. Truly an icon. We we stand for her. <laughs> You stand the character that shot herself in the head in front of everyone. <laughs> Bad romance officially endorses this character. Yeah, and so, but then after this, after that happens, like, and also this happens after, like, a long montage from the relationship between Fiona and Rupert Effort. We don't actually, like, see them fuck because, you know, that would be interesting. But we do see them, like, in the bed together and in the bathtub together for, like, long periods of time. And we also see him just, like, refusing meals all the time and her just being like, I'm hungry. And him just being like, no. There is, okay, there is one scene where they actually make out and they take off their clothes. So I do think they definitely fucked. And that's, like, before the bathtub. Oh, yeah, they, so, yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. figured that they fucked. I just, yeah, 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 yeah. I looked away. Yeah, no, they, they do start, start to show sex, but they don't want to actually show it. Which, like, I mean, I'm fine, I guess, you know. I would have been fine with seeing them have sex, though, because, like, I was very attracted to Rupert Everett's, like... <laughs> whatever the fuck was happening he's like depressed in the bathtub and she's there with him but again like the movie doesn't really make it clear whether they actually like each other or like we don't really know if fiona's sad i can't tell if fiona's sad and traumatized by watching this woman shoot herself in the head or if she's just like awkwardly waiting for rupert to be functional so that they can play music it's like we don't know there's nothing to give us any indication of her feeling and eventually she's just like this is kind of bullshit. I'm just going to like go back to Bob Dylan, who now is like a farmer. <laughs> yeah, she shows up. She shows up and she's just like, I need you to come. Cause he, cause Rupert is just like dealing with the trauma of it. And he just like dips. He just like ghosts and she needs to perform. And she's just like, I need you. Come on. And he's like, no, I'm a farmer now. And you just see him also just like in his kitchen just like just like <laughs> just like calmly just like making shit. I have to say the kitchen, like I wanted to be in that kitchen. Like it looked so cozy and like I had so many snacks. And there's a moment where he opens like his fridge and he's like, Do you want eggs? And the fridge is just full of eggs. There's like there's like fifty cartons of eggs. And then he's like, Yeah, I'm a farmer now. I'm like done with all that music <laughs> shit. And I'm like, that was quick. Being a farmer is actually a lot of work. Where do you live now? Who's working the land? What's, I have a lot of questions, sir, but I will eat your eggs. Oh, yeah. No, you're offering me eggs. I'm yeah. eating them. <laughs> this is actually propaganda <laughs> from Big Egg. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hearts of Fire is sponsored by Ed. Exactly. Uh, and again, I do feel like you and I are making this sound like way more of a movie than it actually is. Like, I feel like we're really making it sound kind of fun. But I feel like we just like pulled out the moments that actually could be anything and like fill them in like it's like a coloring book and we like brought it to life yeah yeah oh my god yeah because she i don't even understand like how this ends because he's like no and then she's like well i guess i'm going off by myself and then like rupert everett shows up when she's like getting on her motorcycle and she just like she rides away and he's like driving behind her for a little bit but then eventually he just like stops and just like looks at her and it's like look there she goes and it's like goes I don't- where what's <laughs> happening like like i kept honestly i kept having this crisis during this movie where i was like am i really stupid like am i like completely missing what's happening and then i would like rewind it for five minutes and be like oh no literally nothing has happened and nothing is being explained okay cool (laughs) like the end i was just like okay i guess she's gonna go like find another old man to sing with i don't know like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I also don't know why she couldn't just like make up with Rupert Everett. Like, it's like they went through a trauma, but they were still pretty like early in their relationship. And I just think that they could probably like talk it out. But it's like, no, I must go on my own. Yeah, because like it's not like she's an artist where she has a really clear perspective. Like, we we never get to know her as an artist. We're not like, oh, this is what her songs are about. She's writing about this experience or this idea. She's just like good at singing and performing and like she likes music and there's nothing wrong with that. So, but you know, I think if she had a really specific perspective as an artist, even at that young age, it would make a lot more sense for her to need to go on her own and not be collaborating with Rupert, but she's, she doesn't. So it's just like, why are you going away on this motorcycle? What's happening? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, and also where is she going? Maybe to the, maybe she's going to join Hell's Angels. (laughs) (laughs) she's like really into old men who are like kind of nice and kind of depressed so she's like gonna be a hell's angel i do love the whole time i was watching this i was thinking i can't believe that bronwyn picked this this is this is some shit that this is some shit that i would come up with (laughs) (laughs) well my actually it was like my friend patrick was like oh like do, do you know bob dylan's in this movie and like it would be funny for y'all to cover and then I was like looking at the description and I was like yeah we have to cover this and then I thought I was like Jordan's gonna be so down for this (laughs) I was like this is like some weird obscure shit that she's gonna love like because we've been going down the 90s rabbit hole and a little bit of late 80s so this kind of feels on theme with that with just some of the weird movies we've covered in the last few months I don't think I don't think people should watch it because it really isn't a movie like I, I think they should watch either the most recent Star is Born or the bad Star is Born. I mean, really, any Star is Born is going to be, like, better than this and doing what it's trying to do. 100%. I also have a shout-out from a patron. So instead of making a movie request, one of our patrons wanted me to say, Jack says I love you and happy Valentine's Day. Callie, our wonderful editor... So I wanted to get that on here. And if this episode comes out after Valentine's Day, I still think we should keep this on the recording because I think it's very cute. And Callie's going to hear it before Valentine's Day. So that's what really matters. Thank you, 
Thank you, Jack, for being a patron so that you could be sweet to Callie. We love that. We love love here. (laughs) We do. And Callie deserves the world. She deserves the best. So She does. She does. Like, please keep up the, you know, keep up the sweet work because she deserves it and our sweet she listeners does. i she hope does. that you are expressing love in your lives whether it's platonic romantic familial the love of hot chocolate the love of a walk whatever kind of love you're experiencing i hope you are soaking it in and giving it out and receiving it and per usual our theme song is by clutch douglas and you know if you're not a patron we have a lot of juicy fun bonus episodes covering the OC, covering How I Met Your Mother, covering erotic thrillers, covering young adult movies. We got a lot of good stuff that you can unlock. And we always love a little review or a nice note. And of course, we are on all the social medias. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Come hang out with us there. I'm Bronwyn Isaac. And I'm Jordan Searles. Bye.